If you're new here at Windsor Road, we are just beginning a new teaching series through the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Take your Bible and uh, turn about halfway. You'll get to the book of Psalms and then uh, flip to your left until you find Nehemiah. It's on page 398 of your church Bibles. And uh, we are beginning this just wonderful study on um, the life of this Hebrew named Nehemiah. Nehemiah contains the memoirs of this Hebrew named Nehemiah who lived 450 years before Christ. And, and I will tell you this, if Nehemiah attended Windsor Road Christian Church, you probably would not see him on stage because he wasn't clergy. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a prophet. Uh, he wasn't a priest or a king. Uh, he didn't raise the dead. He didn't part the sea. He didn't heal the sick. He didn't belong to a culturally or politically dominant people group. He was a government official in the Persian Empire. And specifically, he worked in the city of Susa. Susa. Susa was the Persian king's residence. Susa uh, is in southwest Iran. It's about 150 miles from the Persian Gulf. And it's actually one of the oldest cities on earth. And you can go there today. You can see the remnants of this ancient city of Susa. And this is where Nehemiah served. And God used Nehemiah in his situation to rebuild and repopulate the city of Jerusalem. I thought you said he was in Susa. He was. He's going to get to Jerusalem. But God sent him there, arranged life to put him in a place where I don't believe he planned on being, but this is where God sent him. And it's because of his work, Jesus would have a place where he would one day minister. And God's people would be preserved, this remnant. And I mention all this because you may be thinking, well, that's big. It is. That's why this memoir opens with prayer. Prayer. Nehemiah prays no less than nine times throughout this book. And in this particular chapter, chapter 1, we're going to learn first that we need to pray, and secondly, how to pray. That's where we're going today. This, here's what you need to do, and then here's how to do it. And so I've tagged this message, it happens after prayer. Say that with me. It happens after after prayer one more time it happens after prayer hear these words from the word the words of nehemiah the son of hakaliah now it happened in the month of kislev that's around november and december in the 20th year of king artaxerxes reign i was in susa the citadel 
that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel your servants confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples, but if you return to me, and keep my commandments and then do them though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand oh Lord let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord. That last sentence is pretty important, don't you think? Now I was cupbearer to the king. I mean, I've kind of already given you a heads up about Nehemiah's life and ministry and so forth, but I mean... Without that last sentence, really, we'd be confused, wouldn't we? If, if we didn't have that last sentence, we'd be asking, well, who's Nehemiah? And, and why is this in the Bible? And what's he, what's he doing in Susa anyway? And why, why did his brother and some others come uh, from Judah? And, and why is Jerusalem, the city of David, experiencing such urban blight? What is going on with that? And, and what would make this news so devastating to Nehemiah? You see that, don't you? Verse 4 says, I sat, I wept, I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed. You, you feel that? Sit in that for just a minute. You wake up one morning and 
you think your day is going to go a certain way. Been there? And then you get that text, or then you get that phone call. You get blindsided by news you did not expect to hear, you do not want to hear, and all of a sudden, awareness of this news brings a burden on your heart. You're not just aware now, you are burdened. Some of you told me just this past week about how the Lord has put a burden on your heart. We talked about that, didn't we? We talked about the importance of saying, God, is there space in my heart for a burden from you and God Will you please make room in my heart for this burden that you want me to carry? This burden for my family. This burden for my spouse. This burden for my children. This burden for my church family. For my colleagues. For my employees. And God answered that prayer. You told me that. And here's what you found out when God gave you that burden. The burden on your heart put a tear in your eye. I sat. I wept. I mourned. I fasted. I prayed. Man. And not just one day. Nehemiah says this continued for many days. For days, verse 4. And the thing of it is, you still got to go to work, don't you? You still have a job. You still have responsibilities. Nehemiah had responsibilities. Verse 11. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Scholars give us some indication about what exactly that meant to, to, to be a cupbearer to the king. And so here, here's what would have been on his resume his responsibilities. Nehemiah, to have been cupbearer back then, would have been trained in court etiquette. Got to know how to respond to the protocols of the king. He, and he would have been handsome because only pretty people get to be in the royal court. Yeah. Look in Genesis. When Joseph served Pharaoh, says he was handsome. See? That's just the deal back then <laughs> and now. He would have been a wine connoisseur. He is the cupbearer. He's going to taste the food before it gets to the king for security purposes. So, and then he would, because he was there in the presence of the king, you, you know, you, you, he's going to have to be likable. He's going to have to be enjoyable. He may very well have been the chief of staff. So to get to the king, you've got to get to and through the cupbearer, so the cupbearer would have been more than just a, a culinary expert, but rather an official of the office. But then, above all, Nehemiah would have possessed the unreserved confidence of the king. Because back then, the Persian Empire, occupied by kings, and Artaxerxes, his boss, was the only king who died a natural death. All the other kings were assassinated. So Nehemiah would have had to be a trusted individual who, and again, the 20th year may have even referred to his years of service. But you see, he would have been skilled at his job 
And he would have enjoyed the confidence. He's in the circle of trust is what I'm saying. He's next to the most important person of the most powerful kingdom in the known world. The Persian Empire went on for, at its apex for over 200 years. And it stretched from Greece all the way to India. It was massive. And he's in charge of the king's security. His office is next door to the person who can fix this problem. And yet... Verse 4 does not proceed with, and as soon as I heard these words, I marched right into the king's office. Fix this! <laughs> what remarkable self-restraint. He didn't react. Instead, verse 4, I sat, I wept, I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed. Out of, out of his burdened heart, Nehemiah, whose name means God comforts sought comfort from his God he brought his burdened heart into the presence of God God who gave Nehemiah this burden now invites Nehemiah to himself with the very burden he gave him you, you hear what Nehemiah is teaching us? He's teaching us to make space in our hearts for a burden from God and once received, go to God in prayer with that burden. Here's our big idea. Here's what I want you to walk away with if you don't remember anything else. Well, when God gives you a burden, you give Him prayer. Hello? That's it. I, I, I was, wasn't altogether, you know, I'd like you to remember a little more than Jessica's faith story, okay? <laughs> when God gives you a burden, you give him prayer. prayer. Yeah, give him prayer. God, you're giving me something I can't carry by myself. I need help. Prayer is the cry for help. When God gives you burdens you give him prayer amen there we go so verses one through four nehemiah teaches us our need for prayer and and oh what i hope we hear from these verses is that the appeal the invitation to become a congregation where our natural reflex our natural reflex our first impulse is prayer prayer the Apostle Paul invites us to this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Some of you are here today and you're wondering, is God near? Let me tell you something. The Lord is near. He is right by your side. So Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's nothing we can't bring to God, church family. Paul said, Paul said in everything by prayer. I've done an extensive study of the word everything. And you know what I found out the word everything means? It means everything, everything, whatever that thing is, you need the Lord to do in your life. Bring it to him. 
you need faith to see beyond your current situation? Do you need divine intervention for an impossible situation? Do you need relief from a painful situation? Do you need power to resist temptation? Do you need victory over some nagging sin in your life? Do you need wisdom for, for uh, just an impossible predicament? Do you need God to open the door to some opportunity? Do you need healing or restoration? Do you need reconciliation? Do you need staying power for a hard assignment? Anybody started school this week? Do you got syllabus shock? You've got deadlines, you've got projects, you've got due dates. How am I going to get that done? You need assurance that the Lord is by your side. Anybody sick of this pandemic? Brothers and sisters, it happens after prayer. It happens after prayer. Now, now prayer is not all that Nehemiah will do. I mean, as we look at these verses in Nehemiah, if you've read ahead, you see he is a man of action. He doesn't sit still long. He's on the move. But, uh, th so there's a lot to do after prayer. I mean, after he prays, after he prays here, I mean, he's got to keep processing this burden while doing his daily work. After he prays, he's going to have to ask, could I, could I be the answer to my own request? After he prays, he's going to think, well, okay, if so, how, would, how, how, how do you fix a city wall? I mean, can I go to you? No, I can't go to YouTube. I live before Christ. Uh, uh, I'm not a general contractor, I'm not an architect, I'm not an engineer. So after he prays, he's going to have to look for some, for some help. After he prays, after he looks for the help, after he figures out a plan, he's going to then have to look, after he prays, he's going to have to look for an opportune time which he cannot create to speak to the king. After he prays, he's going to have to ask the king to reverse a policy decision so that that wall can be rebuilt. You see, in Ezra chapter 4, Nehemiah's boss wrote a policy that forbid the city from being rebuilt, which led to the conditions that brought his brother and friends to Judah in the first place. And, and he's going to have to tell the king to reverse a policy decision, which means, which means that that first decision was a mistake, and nobody likes to tell their boss they made a mistake. He's going to have to do that after he prays. He's going to have to wait till the, just the right time when he can talk. And then he's going to have to wait till the king says, what's your plan? And then he's going to have to rattle off a plan to the king while the king's looking at him. After he prays, he's going to have to say, well, I'm going to need these beams, and I'm going to need this iron, and I'm going to need this paperwork, and I'm going to need an armed guard. And then after he prays, he's going to have to make a thousand-mile trip from Susa all the way to Judah at the speed of camel. And when he gets to Jerusalem, <laughs> when he gets to Jerusalem, a place with none of the amenities of Susa. I mean, it's not even a KOA campground. He's going to have to inspect the ruins so that he can know for sure what he's gotten himself into. And then after he prays, he's going to have to do these inspections by night 
to evade the attention of enemies who do not want to see Israel prosper, period. Oh, church family, Nehemiah's got his work cut out for him. There is much to do after Nehemiah prays, but let me assure you, there is nothing for Nehemiah to do until he prays. And there's a lot that you may need to do to be a part of repairing your situation after you pray. But like Nehemiah, there's absolutely nothing for you to do until you pray. Whatever it is you want God to do in your life, it's going to happen after prayer. He gives you a burden. You give him your prayers, your prayers. Some of you, some of you may be wondering, well, of course, you'd say that you're a pastor and this is a church. But let me just say this. Someone says to me, what, really, why do you pray? To me, that question is like asking, well, why do you breathe? I mean, I could say, well, I breathe because I'm supposed to. Or I breathe because it makes me feel better. Or I breathe because life kind of goes poorly when I don't. Okay. Or I breathe because it's a habit. But the reality is, when it comes to breathing, the, very, the simplest answer is, I breathe because I need to. I need to. Why do I pray? The reason is because I, I need to pray. I mean, it's the door of life. If I don't pray, I perish. If I don't pray, I become selfish. If I don't pray, I grow foolish. I pray because I need God. I pray because my primary citizenship is in heaven. I pray because my primary identity is a child of God. And as a child of God, on the other side of the cross, I am told to direct my prayers to God in a way that, that we don't read in Nehemiah. Jesus taught us to pray our Father, our Father, you see, see, see I, I pray because God is my Father, I and, and my Father loves me, He loves me, He doesn't go, what now, He doesn't do that, God's not mad at you, God's not annoyed with you, God, God doesn't have kind of low-grade irritation with you, He's our Father. And when I pray, I acknowledge the reality of my weakness. Prayer affirms the worldview that whatever is going to get done will not happen by human activity, but divine initiative. Whatever, whether or not you pray reveals what you believe about everything that really matters. And I pray that we are a church that prioritizes prayer, not just, not just in our 15-minute quiet time each morning, but throughout the day to pause, to pray, to think about God, to speak with God. I can assure you this, He is thinking about you. It happens after prayer. Jeremiah 33.3, beautiful verse. Call to me, the Lord says, I will answer you. I will tell you great and hidden things that you have 
not known. Pray. Pray. God gives us a burden. We give him what? Prayer. Prayer. So with that in mind, how ought we pray? How, how does Nehemiah pray? Well, that's what verses 5 through 11 teach us. And let me just break it down here, all right? Start with God. Continue with confession. State your request. That's it. That's verses 5 through 11. Start with God. Continue with confession. State your request. Adoration, confession, petition. Start with God. Verse 5, and I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Do you know who you're talking to when you pray? You're not talking to a tribal deity. You are speaking to the transcendent God of the universe, of heaven and earth. You're praying to the great and awesome God. You're praying to the God of character and integrity who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. It's this God who spoke the cosmos out of nothing. Let there be light. It's this God who sent the earth spinning on its axis at 23 and a half degrees. It's this God who made the sun from the brilliance of his face. It's this God who knows the names of the billion trillion stars that occupy this universe. Everyone by name. Those stars don't need a name tag. He's got it memorized. It's this God who made clouds snowy white and fiery orange and turquoise green and charcoal gray all against the canvas of the vaulted blue it's this god who took a lump of clay and stamped his image on the human brow and it's this god who put a quest for truth in the human heart and it was this god who clothed himself in flesh and lived as a blue-collar worker from nazareth and bore our sins on the cross you know who you're talking to when you pray <laughs> listen to me if you don't start your prayers like nehemiah did you're not going to conclude your prayers like nehemiah did nehemiah closed this prayer with a powerful request he said and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man so Nehemiah praised this as the cupbearer to Artaxerxes, whose Persian Empire was the world's sole superpower. And yet Nehemiah doesn't refer to him as the great and mighty sovereign Artaxerxes. He doesn't even refer to him as king. What's Nehemiah call him? This man. To Nehemiah, before the throne of God, Artaxerxes is just a man. And Nehemiah can say this man because he first said, O Lord, the God of heaven. You hear what he's telling us? Listen to me. Before you tell God how big your problem is, why don't you tell God how big he is? And then watch your view of your circumstances change because the greater God the, 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 the 
clearer and the greater we see the reality of who God is, the smaller whatever it is you're carrying will be. Start with God. Continue with confession. So Nehemiah confessed. We've, we've sinned against you. Verse 6, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. Wait, 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 wait a minute, Nehemiah, wait a minute. You, you, you weren't in Jerusalem when Babylon invaded. You, you, lived, you lived over 100 years later. Wait a minute, you were no idol worshiper. Why, why would you say that? Why would you say that? Well, why would I wonder about that? Well, it's because I'm an individualistic American. That's why. And our, listen to me, this is going to hurt. Our individualistic American culture makes it difficult to understand what Nehemiah was doing. Because you, you didn't do that. You weren't personally there, Nehemiah. Some 21st century Americans make statements like, well, I didn't own any slaves, or I wasn't involved in abortion, or I've never committed pastoral malfeasance. I've not put money in the place of God. And yet what we have to see, that's a reflection more of us than anything else. Because the Bible calls out not just individual sin, but corporate sin. And Nehemiah may be individually guiltless, but he belongs to a guilty nation. That's just the deal. And so he confesses, oh God, my people group, Israel, we've sinned against you. Verse 7, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. So Nehemiah did not pray, oh Lord, forgive them, but Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. John White is an author who wrote a book on Nehemiah called Excellence in Leadership. And John White tells about a time that he was in medical school. He missed a class. Uh, well, it was a class on venereal disease. And he had to see the physician then who taught the class to get the class notes. He had to go to a clinic where the physician worked. It was a teaching hospital school situation. And, and when he got to the clinic, there was a line of men waiting to see this doctor. And they all had VD. And John White told the nurse, look, I don't have, I, I mean, I'm not, I, I just need to see the doctor get my notes. And the nurse said, get in line. And, and John White said, well, you don't understand. The nurse said, no, you don't understand. If you want to see this doctor, I don't care who you are, get in line. And standing there, John White confessed, I, I could just feel the shame being in that line. The, the Gospel of Mark speaks of crowds that came to John the Baptist for baptism. Sinners. And then Jesus came for baptism, and he stood in line with sinners. He did not shun the shame. See, he deliberately stood in line. He deliberately associated with sinners. So Nehemiah identifies with 
his people group that he might advocate for them. He stands before God as their representative and go-between. No blaming, no excuses. He fired his inner lawyer. He confessed, we've sinned against you. But that's not all he confessed. He not only confessed his people group sins, but he confesses God's promises, verses 8 and 9. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, and, and verses 8 and 9 are almost verbatim Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 4. Almost verbatim. Do you see what Nehemiah is doing? He's teaching us, if you want to enrich your prayer life, pray the scriptures. Take this chapter and start with God and who he is and what he's done and his wisdom and his power and his awe and, and, then, and then move to confession because once I see the holiness of God for what it is, I will realize how underdressed I am and I need help. God, forgive my failures, but then confess the Lord's promises. Oh, God, you said, you promised if we are unfaithful, you will scatter. If we are faithful, you will gather. God, gather us back. We are your servants whom you have redeemed. See, that's Exodus talk. We trust you, God. We love you. We want you. Oh, God, you keep your word. Start with God. Continue with confessions, and then thirdly, state your request. And Nehemiah does in verse 11. God, God, you know what I need before I even ask. And you know that all I, you know all I need. You know that all I need is this man's mercy. I just need favor. I just need favor, Lord. I'm coming to you because I know that, I know that you know this, you can make this happen. This man, he, this man may be the most powerful person on earth but God Proverbs 21 1 the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord he just turns it wherever he will there's nothing you can't do God you are you are God and he's just a man please God give me favor that's how to pray start with God continue with confession state your request pray the word Nehemiah frees us from the tyranny of spiritual creativity and allows us to rest in the confidence of that which is certain and true. So instead of trying to think up something clever and snappy to say to get God's attention, Nehemiah says, stop worrying about being original when you pray and just pray the word. Pray the word. Start with God, continue with confession, state your request. And Nehemiah prayed that prayer daily. Daily, listen, there are four months between chapters 1 and 2. And church family, sometimes it's four months. And sometimes it's four years. And sometimes it's 40 years. I don't know how long it's been for you. But God will take us where we do not want to go to produce in us that which would not be possible otherwise. And the Apostle Peter tells us that because of Jesus Christ, we have an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, and it is kept in heaven for us. There is a deposit in your account in the heavenly realm right 
right now and this is the ledger book it's kept in heaven for us it's got your name on it it's being guarded through faith for a salvation that will one day be revealed 1 Peter 1 6 says you rejoice in this even though now for a short time a short time if necessary you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith more valuable than gold which though perishable is refined by fire will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ you believe that amen 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 well prayer shows you do Prayer proves the character of your faith, and persevering prayer refines you into that which is more precious than gold. And every time we pray, every time we start with God and continue with confession and state our request, we're saying, God, although we've not seen you, we love you. And though we can't see you now, we trust you to give us inexpressible joy because we know that we are obtaining the outcome of our faith the salvation of our souls. Listen to me. Let me just make this appeal, brothers and sisters. The only way that we can relate to God so that he's pleased and so that it glorifies him is not by hauling buckets of human labor up the mountain and pouring our supply into his pool of water. That's not it. Instead, it's by falling flat on our face, exhausted, and then immersing our faith and our face in the pure inexhaustible mountain springs of God and then coming up and saying oh that was so good thank you God for the overflow that you are for me that's how we relate to God let's be a congregation that's on speaking terms with the God of this universe let's be a congregation where the community says the this these folks know God a church family where after we gather in worship, we're out in the foyer, even after in a few moments, in the hallways, out in the community, when someone seeks prayer, we stop right then with our heads bowed and voices raised. And those few moments in prayer become a portal to another reality. Prayer is an activity that takes us to another reality, a real reality. Oh man, this is Nehemiah's prayer. Let it be ours too. There, listen, listen. There's much to do after we pray. There's nothing to do until we pray. He's given us a burden. Now we need to give him.